say my name until the city burns and the stars fade away and your scars don't hurt i will hold you till the sun comes crashing down i'm yours until the end of time hey everyone welcome to the restored to more podcast a listener supported podcast that is dedicated to restoring marriages to wholeness in christ after being affected by pornography and sexual brokenness After betraying charity with pornography and unwanted sexual behavior, we had no idea how to rebuild our relationship or even if it was possible to restore what was broken. Today, by God's grace, we have learned how to connect again, laugh again, and rebuild spiritual, emotional, and sexual intimacy to an even greater experience than before. Our goal is that as you hear our story, the stories of others, and the knowledge needed to heal, you too can have a marriage that is becoming restored to more. I'm yours until the end of time. Update everyone. Course one registrations are back open. Whoop, whoop. This is an eight week course starting Thursday, September 14th. That is designed to help you and your spouse start the journey to becoming restored to more. It will be led by R2M certified coaches, Cody and Michelle Larson. We will be focusing on how to cultivate safety and trust, healthy communication, deal with triggers, and begin to discover how God can use crisis to create closeness. You can see all the details on our website and can register today at www.restoredtomore.com slash courses. Also, if you have appreciated this podcast, a great way to say thank you is leaving a five-star rating and a positive review. These reviews help more people find the podcast and experience hope and healing. Say my name until the city. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Restored Tomorrow. We are so excited for you guys to get to know our guest today, Lori Kirkendall. I'm going to read this intro for you, Lori, because you have done a lot. God has done a lot through you. It is awesome. Um, But today we get the privilege of interviewing and having Lori Kirkendall on the show. Lori serves as the president and CEO of Medical Institute for Sexual Health, which is headquartered in Dallas, Texas. Medical Institute is committed to advancing wholeness by empowering optimal sexual health. What a calling, by the way. It's awesome. Hmm. In 1998, she co-founded a new 501c3 organization, Fort Bend Alert, which was abstinence, leadership, education, and resources for teens. She later served as the executive director of Life Talk, which is a pregnancy resource center in Frisco, Texas, and then Aim for Success, which is Just Say Yes, youth development organization. She's held several other nonprofit leadership positions, including international medical and dental missions organizations, where she developed health educational programs in Romania, Guatemala, Honduras. Her passion is helping young people and families be healthy in all areas, physically, mentally, emotionally, socially, and spiritual. She's married to Chris and have four grown and flown children. I love that, grown and flown. Welcome, Lori, to the Restored to More show. We're so glad to have you. I am so glad to be here. You guys are a great uh, couple doing a great work, and I'm glad to be a part of it today. Mm. Well, we feel blessed. We got to meet you at a leadership summit uh, by Dr. Julie Slattery, and um, we just connected. We're like, man, we got to have you on the show because you're just a wealth of knowledge and your love for people and and just education is incredible. And so I would first like our audience just to get to know you a little bit. Um, and just, we would love to understand like, where did this passion for sexual health, um, come? Well, great question. I love to tell the story because it starts back, um, early in my childhood. Really. I was, um, raised by a scientist who was raised by a pastor 
Um, and that pastor, uh, my grandfather, who um, whose faith I am proud to follow after, um, got us going to church. And we had a background of church and a background of love that set us up for connection and stability that came from being in the church and walking in the ways of the church. But I always had the backup and support of the unconditional love of my dad. And as I'm turning 50 this year, uh, now I've said my age on, you know, the radio, whatever, <laughs> um, I wanted people to know that that father's love still carries me even today. And it's such a great gift to our heavenly father's love. So that kind of personal journey started my, um, much of my, you know, peer support was in the church and we learned the church ways. And certainly at that time that was save sex until marriage. Um, there were some scenarios in early dating relationships that certainly could have gone another way. And I'm so glad that they didn't, but really kind of came into the field of health education. Um, in my uh, freshman year of college, wanted to be a pediatrician because I had a pediatrician I adored as a female and I wanted to be a female pediatrician. On top of that, I would tell you all that my junior year of high school on a mission trip to Tijuana, Mexico, was called into full-time missions and uh, didn't know quite how missions work would would look, but this has taken, you know, its journey in different ways along the way. So that full-time call to medical missions, thought it would be pediatrician, got drawn into the field of prevention instead, which is what health education really is all about, is helping people upstream and so I was doing an internship. This is kind of where, where it all began in terms of the world of abstinence education, now often called sexual risk avoidance education. But that started in 1993. I was doing an internship at the Student Health Center at Texas A&M University. If we have some listeners uh, that are from there, they would give a whoop about being an <laughs> Aggie. Um, so the whoops go out and we say Texas A&M and I was doing health education for uh, dorm kids, kids that lived in the dorm. Wow. We had nutrition, we had exercise and fitness. And someone said, well, we should have one on sex. So there was a program on contraception that was going out and all the kinds of methods you could use to, to not get pregnant. But really disease was more on the scene than also with the AIDS epidemic. So it wasn't just pregnancy, it was diseases also that needed preventing. And then along came emotional and relational impacts as well. Mm. So someone said, well, we should do one on abstinence. Abstinence was a new term in the early 90s. It's funny because it's obviously not a new term for all of time. But um, And they said, well, who, who could write a program on abstinence? And they wow. went around the room of all the interns, and I was the only one who was abstinent. Um, and I'm grateful for that. And I got picked to write this program. It was called How to Make Love Without Doing It. Wow. And um, so we were going to make love without making love. And um, so that was kind of where it started in the basement of that health center and in those dormitories of this message that would drive me uh, to a ministry mission role at the Women's Pregnancy Center. I was hired to do prevention there. The journey kind of goes from there. You mentioned it some in my bio, but having worked in the field then of in abstinence and pregnancy prevention um, around having our four children and raising them up to all be out of the house now um, has been a, it's been quite a journey. I'm glad to reflect on it and uh, apply it even more so today. Mm. Wow. I love that you mentioned that because recently for our listeners that are listening, Sharon and I, have been working so hard, getting restored to more up and running and working like way too much. And we were overcommitted in all these areas. 
And Lori sent us two blogs that she wrote about what it looks like to prioritize your kids in the middle of ministry. And I'm just thankful that that you are an example of that, Lori, that obviously no parent is perfect, but you are out there and you are teaching other young parents what that looks like and um, what it looks like to serve God in the middle of, hey, serve God while being a parent and that your your parenting purpose and ministry never should supersede another ministry. And I'm just grateful for those blogs you sent us this way. And, and you're, you're just, you, you've done, like Terry said, you've done so much. And so I would love to hear more. I know we're going to dive into some really amazing topics about the purity culture and what that, what, how to, how do we've talked about different words on that, what that looks like to redeem it, how to, how to understand that it might just be incomplete. You can't throw it all out. And at the same time, it needs to be redeemed in a way that you're talking about revisions, which is going to be awesome. But tell us a little bit more before we go there, tell us a little bit more about the the medical institute that you're doing right now and and what that looks like what is its greatest purpose today and yeah just let's just go there excellent so medical institute for sexual health I first learned of them in the late 90s um, when I was working at a pregnancy center and we needed some information on STD, sexually transmitted diseases. Some say infections. You really can use those terms interchangeably. Um, But reconnected with them about four and a half years ago, founded by Dr. Joe McElhaney, an OBGYN who was serving in women's health in the Austin area, prominent women's health care organization practice there and um, was so struck and troubled, really concerned about the women coming to his practice for infertility treatment that had been infected with STDs in their teenage years, not even knowing it, right, until they were trying to start their family to find out there was, you know, irreparable damage to their um, reproductive systems. So that led him into the field of prevention and education and dedicated the rest of his career to that. And a year ago, he asked me, Dr. Joe, one of the most amazing men you'll ever meet um, uh, at 86 now, now, asked me to take his place to lead the organization. Our vision is advancing wholeness. And when you do work around vision, those first two words are your most important words. Mm -hmm. So advancing as in almost a military-like sense of moving forward out into the hurt of the world, advancing wholeness as in whole person, physical, mental, emotional, social, and spiritual. And so advancing wholeness by empowering, empowering is a good word, optimal, also a good word as in the best sexual health. So advancing wholeness by empowering optimal sexual health. We are a science-based public health research and education organization. I think that's important for everyone to understand um, because we we stay right there in around upholding the science that supports public health and prevention and education. I say prevention, but in my mind, I'm always thinking restoration also and um, kind of bringing people back from the hurt and harm of years of sexually explicit culture, sex saturated, saturated culture that um, has left a whole fallout of problems. So mm. you can tell I could talk a lot about that. Yeah, <laughs> so, that's great. No, your passion there's a evident. lot to that. Thanks yeah. for asking. Yeah. <laughs> so how do you guys... Um, educate and prevent? Um, what kind of resources do you guys offer? Is it um, classes? Is it videos, blogs, courses, groups, books, all the above? 
Excellent. All of the above would be the way I would answer that. We have been actually, we'll come on 30 years in March and are in a whole rebuilt and rebuilding and revisioning of the organization. So yeah, now it's online trainings, right? And online presentations, it's resources for parents, educators, policymakers. We talk a lot about that. So I testify at the Capitol and the State Board of Education on some of the policy issues, but we equip parents to be the primary sex educators of their children. We partner with a lot of programs in schools so that they have the best information. And that information can be STDs, that can be contraception and condoms. It can be um, abortion-related, pornography-related um, a whole number of issues, and we're especially wow. diving into sexual orientation and gender identity now. Wow. That really is the issue of the day, right? So looking to bring the science that supports an optimal health message, the best the best health um, from a sexual health perspective. Wow. wow. You know, Laura, I know your faith background, and this, if this is too much, please don't share it, but how does it work when you are a strong Christian, like we've gotten to see, and leading it, how do, how does that how do those two go together? I think there's we, we, there's a lot of thoughts out there, right? That if you're a Christian, you don't need science, mm-hmm. and that science supersedes Christianity. And so, if you are really smart, obviously the Bible is nonsense. And you hear all these different sides of that. How do you find your middle ground in that? What does that look like for you to be a follower of Jesus and yet working mainly with secular organizations, bringing in the science based background versus the faith based background? I love the question. There's a couple of things I would say to it. One is science and faith do not contradict one another. Um, The science of the faith that we share, truth is truth, and it is objective. And it was um, in many ways written before the creation of the world. So um, now science is up for debate in the modern culture, for sure. Um, and in many ways, as we live in a postmodern culture, that is self-referentiality, as in make it up, whatever you want to go is truth. That'll be fine. Yours is yours. Mine is mine. That's not really objective. That's very subjective. Mm. So I think we we bring in a truth. And then I also like to think of um, scripture that says the way, the truth and the life. Um, we know who that's referencing. And yet in a very practical way for a world that may or may not receive a faith message. We can teach the way, um, Mm. the way of healthy living and the way that is best for current and future health. We absolutely uphold the truth. And it's um, it's not just looking at the science, although the science is there. It's it's having critical thinking about what really is this, you know, this particular body of science saying so much is misquoted coming out of science. Well, this is what this study said. And then you're like, well, if you really read it, it doesn't. So the way, the truth, and of course, life, um, we are looking to bring life and freedom and wholeness. We use that word thriving and flourishing a lot. Those are good things, uh, good for the culture currently and future, good for individuals and families and communities and really our nation. So there's a lot to those words that bring a powerful punch when you tie in um, really that holistic message of way, truth, and life. I love that as a Christian that doesn't really have much experience in the science of things. The more people that we get to interview on the podcast and talk to, they just continue to say that science just backs up what the Bible has been saying forever. And, and it's just more ways to point to Jesus in that realm. And I love that. I think it's, it's, that's incredible for you to kind of 
reiterate that in your own words, of course. We love science. We do. And we love reading those books. Oh, it's, it's, it's so incredible. And it's, it's so amazing when we get to talk to people like yourself that are in that realm. Now, you talked about this holistic health. And it sounds like that you guys really believe that sexuality is a key part of that. That, you, that all these different areas of health can even stem from our sexuality. And so it's, I mean, maybe I heard you wrong, but I, I'd love you to talk a little about that. How, I mean, gosh, I, we don't hear that a lot. You want to be emotionally, you want to be emotionally healthy, it's good relationships. And physically healthy is working out and eating healthy and all these things. And you, what you're saying is there's a key piece to those aspects of sexual health that, can, that pertains to these other avenues. Did I hear you right in saying that? I think it goes both ways, um, Clinton. I think it talks about physical, mental, emotional, social, and spiritual dynamics within sex itself. Mm. So our world would want to objectify sex, make sex just about bodies. It's not just about bodies. It's made Mm. in full oneness, full connection of bodies, minds, hearts, souls, and I think that's part of the physical, mental, emotional, social, spiritual, sexual health. That's part of that. And then it kind of goes the other way also in terms of when sexual health is in a good place. So also our physical, mental, emotional, social, and spiritual health out that away. So think about the foundation, the very personal part, or as I've taught kids for years, you can't get any closer than sex. It mm-hmm. is personal and intimate. It is the very core of our being that we open ourselves to share with one another, with another person. And that has so been devalued and Mm -hmm. so um, misconstrued in our culture. They've been separated, those elements of wholeness. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think when we get sexual health right, we get a lot of things right that make us well and whole, whole around relationships, around families, around communities. I, you know, I talk about reaching the children, um, kind of swimming upstream, we call it primary prevention. If we can help them have the right understanding of sex as it belongs in healthy marriage, then a lot of things get better. They're saved from a lot of things, um, of course, that can go wrong. They are held whole for another person with whom they can offer their whole self to for their whole life. Mm. And there's a beautiful picture of that, a story that isn't being told in our culture today. So I just get super excited about sharing that. And then there's obviously the message of restoration comes behind it as well. Uh, There has to be heard no matter what's happened in your past, whether you chose it or someone else forced it upon Mm. you, you have the opportunity from this day forward to make this decision. I get, I get really fired up (laughs) in a, in a, in a boardroom where I'm questioned about, but what about the children who've been abused Mm. and where, our opponents would just offer IUDs, uh, contraception, so that she doesn't get pregnant. I would offer wholeness. And doesn't that little girl or that little boy have the opportunity to be told, you don't have to make this choice. Mm-hmm. You didn't make it in the first place. You can choose from here on out. So wow. there's a whole message of second wow. chances and the hope of that that come along. And um, some of that's what we missed in the purity culture. But I think um, the idea of wholeness and healing um, absolutely is the, the you know, yeah. on the foundation of sexual health. Mm. I think it's, do you want to say something? I think it's incredible because, you know, what we're finding is as, as Charity and I are talking to more and more people our age, whether they are married or single, and they're in this, like, you know, I would say maybe 18 to 30 range, we are so confused about sex. There is just so much 
confusion. And it feels so central to who we are as a person. You know, whether we had relationships where we were sexually bonded to that person because we had sex out of marriage and we felt like, well, that was good because they gave herself to me and I gave myself to them and I really loved them. And there was a, a mutual, you know, companionship there that we had. And then all of a sudden we're, they're engaged in another relationship. And now it's like, well, it's weird because I, I, I'm not really happy sexually because I'm thinking about this other person over here that I had sex with. And then I'm married and I still am getting these like, mental images of me with this other person or these things. And so, and I think that it's very, we're aware now that hookup culture isn't working because we are bonding ourselves to people. Yet, even in the context of marriage, there's so much confusion and I'm grateful for what you're doing because I feel like what you're talking about is we need clarity as to why we talk about a, 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 a saving ourselves for marriage. And this kind of segues, I think into our talk today about purity culture that Maybe there was the right heart. Maybe it wasn't delivered in a way that was compassionate or full of love. But where do you think, Laura, we've gone wrong? Like, where do you think, like, how how do we have people today that are our age that are between, you know, like I said, 18, 19 to 35, and there is so much confusion there as to what's right and what, what were we supposed to do and what is this to teach? What are we supposed to believe in if there is all this sexual confusion? Let's just start there. Where do you think the purity culture and, and, and narrative went wrong in their teaching? I love this question. I thought a lot about it. I thought a lot about it when we were together, when we met in Georgia, um, because I, I needed to hear that what I had been doing for 25 years wasn't wrong. Mm, <laughs> Sometimes yeah. I'm in rooms where I feel like, you know, I'm, I'm, oh, that's a shameful approach or mm. that's a white person's approach or a utopian middle-class Bible approach or whatever reason, the abstinence until marriage message has, has been twisted in so many ways. I've come to acknowledge a lot of times it was delivered in the wrong way, Mm. but there are a a handful of us still in the fight who, who did it a different way. Mm. And I've had to kind of, you know, rethink and think and rethink again about the things we did differently. And there are really four ways that I think, um, and we can touch on them pretty quickly, four ways that I think the purity culture went wrong, but can absolutely be made right for the next generation. I think, like you said, we're at risk of throwing the baby out with the bathwater when we sway so far. We can't even talk about abstinence until marriage anymore. We can't even talk about abstinence anymore. That's a bad word. It doesn't work. Well, I don't care about the words as much as the concept of upholding sex in its optimal context of healthy marriage. So that's still the best plan from a science perspective, from a religious perspective, a yeah. politics or morals. It's still the best for people, the optimal message. So four ways. Oh, go ahead. Can please. I ask you about that, Laura? Before you dive yeah. in there, I had to raise my hand so you could see me on the video here because <laughs> I would love to hear the science behind that. I think it's mm-hmm. really easy for, and, and, we, and we have to, before we dive in, I just want to address the hurt and the pain yeah. that this could have caused mm-hmm. because I think we have to validate that, that there are a lot of people are on that verge of going, Lori, I kind of want to hear what you're going to say, but most of me doesn't want to hear it because I've been hurt. And, and I, and I would love to just address that for a minute so that people like us can be a little more open to that and go, Hey, like there is some hurt here. There is damage. It, It could have been delivered in a way that was very shaming, you know, where it's sex is bad up until all these areas. And at the same time, what I hear you saying just to reiterate that and put it in my own words so I can make sure I understand you, is that you're saying that there was the right heartbeat 
for some. And for some there wasn't. For some it was control, manipulation, power. There was shame in the people that were teaching it, so they didn't know how to teach it in a right way. But for others, there was something different there. They were compelled by love, is what I hear you saying. So love was actually the compelling force behind abstinence. And that's what you're kind of talking about a little bit. Did I hear you right in that? Well, I'm going to say it should have been the Mm. compelling uh, love, uh, the motivation behind the call to abstain until marriage. Um, I would say we got the message right. We didn't always get the messenger or the the method right. Mm. Um, And yes, let's definitely acknowledge the harm um, and the hurt around that. What I've been challenged on lately is to normalize that hurt. Mm. Like, don't talk about STDs in a bad way. Call them STIs, infections. They're not so bad as a disease because we don't want to shame people living in wow. that hurt. They want to normalize it. You can't hardly high, find death, certi- uh, death counts on AIDS anymore because we want to normalize HIV. You know, you see the commercials. Just take your HIV meds. You are good to go. Wow. Um, we want to normalize the emotions away. And yet look at our mental health crisis. Mm. So acknowledging the hurt says, no, these things are hard. And maybe you did bring herpes into your marriage. Yes, you're feeling the weight of that. Mm. But don't let the weight of that hold you back from helping your children do something different. Mm -hmm. Don't let the weight of that hold back from healing in your marriage, physically, mentally, emotionally, socially, and spiritually along the way to get to that place of wholeness in marriage as it was intended to be. So I think we acknowledge that wasn't right. The hurt wasn't right. And yet let's not just resign to it either. Um, because grace doesn't mean do whatever you want. You're good Mm -hmm. to go and diminish the consequences of that. You know, um, scripture speaks to, because there's grace, I can sin more. Sure. No, that's what it says not to do. Um, he, he gives us the way and the truth and a life for a purpose to, to really walk this out in a way that makes sense. And the science is absolutely with us because whether it's diseases, pregnancy, abortion, whether it's anxiety, depression, the mental pieces you were even mentioning earlier, I think it all comes around this idea of wholeness, restored to wholeness. But let's not miss the opportunity to guide people into that truth from an earlier age again in a way that we can talk about that the purity culture needs to get 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 redeemed or, or revisioned in. So let's I'd love to talk about those things. Let's go. That was a great word, Lori. I really right. appreciate you sharing that in that way. I think we're ready to dive in. Let's go. Well, the first thing we need to do, or I would say that they did wrong that, or the, whatever the, you know, the stereotypical purity culture, I have noticed people changing words a little bit, even calling it like the traditional church narrative or different ways, because purity in itself is not a bad thing. Um, we are called to a purity of sorts that um, is part of our faith journey. But so one thing they got wrong was the relationship. So I've got four R's. We'll go through them fast. Relationship is one of them. So we missed that it was, we got rules, but we didn't get the relationship. And in my own life, from having been able to save sex for marriage, and so did my husband, and we've been happily married in a sex positive relationship for 27 years and four children out of that. Praise the Lord. Um, sorry. (laughs) So, um, because of that, I've had to think what, what, what was, you know, why was I able to do that? And Mm -hmm. largely I would give credit to my father's love. Mm -hmm. 
So when rules are there without relationship, as Josh McDowell used to say, you get you get rebellion. Um, but we've got to have the context of relationship that this is about love. And you all have small children. If you have a two year old running to the street, you say, stop. <laughs> you don't say, oh, little one, come on back and let me put a little you know, cushion on you so you don't get hurt while you're out there in the road. You say stop, and it's not because you're mean, and it's not because you don't want them to have fun. It's because you love them, mm. and you know how much they can get hurt out in that street. So, yeah, we know how much hurt is out in the street on sex, and we're saying no, mm. not not my kids, mm. you know. So that's relationship, the context of love that was very often missed in a shameful or rules-only kind of message. The Second one, y'all shot me. I'm just going to keep rolling. Relationship. The second one that's really important to me is reasons. We miss the reasons or the why of this plan. So the church, for example, said, don't have sex till you're married. And yet the world was saying, hey, yeah, come on. This is great. You know, express yourself, find yourself and freedom and all of that. So the church didn't give the why to Mm. bolster the youth against the pressures of the culture. So sex-saturated culture, making it look like everybody's doing it. They're not, by the way. In fact, most kids do not have sex, but it's been so normalized by the media. So the reasons are really important. And we already talked about some of them through the science or through yeah. the, you know, yeah. the, the diseases and pregnancy. All of that's part of that, of the why, the reasons. And it's not even so much about what could go wrong as much as what could go right Mm. if you wait. Mm. So have we modeled sex positive marriage? Have we modeled the freedom that's gained, the closeness that's gained? You know, I've said to parents, have your kids seen you say, hey, we're going to our bedroom, we're locking the door and you're not welcome. Have they seen (laughs) you enjoy intimacy? Not like literally seen you, but like live that out in the what to wait for rather than what to wait against. Um, fear does motivate. Why do you wear a seatbelt? You know, it's like, well, cause I'm afraid I'm going to get in a car wreck. So there is a motivation of fear for the wrong things that could go mm-hmm. wrong, but there is motivation for the good things that could go right in this good plan from a loving God who has this plan. I think a lot of us so, can relate to that. Yeah. Just that, you know, there was more fear based. Yeah. If you have sex, God, and the fear was that the church would even kick you out. You know, the youth group wouldn't allow you to come anymore to mm-hmm. Wednesday nights because you're somebody who's sexually promiscuous. Or, mm-hmm. I mean, I many times there were people that I grew up with that were sexually promiscuous. Mm-hmm. And it was like parents were like, you don't hang out with that person. They don't go to your church. You can't invite them to youth group. We don't want them at youth camp and all of that. And so there was like this fear like, wow, you get excommunicated when you do those yeah. kinds of things, you know? And there was this fear that God will love you less. And, mm-hmm. I think there's, I think that's pretty common and not yeah. talk. And, and the only, and the only really, from what we understand, the only real good why was that, oh, sex will be incredible and it yield, it'll be effortless and there'll be all these things. And I don't hear you saying that. I hear you saying, no, there's a closeness that's, that's amazing. There is this freedom that's gained because of this innocence that you both bring into a marriage, uh, the covenant and the marriage bedroom. But it's also having realistic expectations that there's going to be some, discovery and you're going to figure things out and it might still be painful. It might still not be this incredible thing right when you start having sex. And I hear you saying that, right? I hear you saying it's not all this amazing thing just because you wait. There still might be some hiccups and trials and things like that. 
Well, and you're learning that with someone who has stood before family and friends and promised to stay with you. Mm. That's very different than learning it with someone in a back seat or mm. a remote location or someone's dorm room or wherever who's going to walk out. Mm. Wow, um, when I have been in that moment of intimacy with my husband, and he's used to me talking about these things in public, but um, I will be very vulnerable with you all and say, I feel that safety and security and I stay right there and just take that in. And I think very often the Lord reminds me of those in a very different, harmful situation where they're now afraid they've given everything to that person. They've risked everything, disease, pregnancy, reputation. I mean, you name it, what you've put on the line. Mm -hmm. And now you're left on that place or that pillow, I think of alone to cry. Mm. Um, and I, I hear them. I, I see them in some, not a weird way, but my heart breaks for those that have bought the lie publicly and then lived the hurt privately. Mm. Um, and I wow. think Good. that's a lot of what we've got to speak into is what's really happened with people privately and individually. Because the public has made it seem one thing. Um, pornography has made it seem one thing. That's just a flat out lie from the wow. pit of hell, if I may say it that way. And what I hear you saying is there's a safety component within the bond of covenant. That yeah. this person is saying, hey, we just sit on the altar, whether better or worse. And we don't always say better or worse sexually, right? That's not always in those vows right at the altar. But we are saying that, that hey, we're going to yeah. stick through this. We're going to figure out how to make this work. We're going to find solutions We're it might be, it might be kind of rough in the beginning, but we can get through this together because yeah. we're in this together for life. And I think that we, be, I think that a lot of people that are young believe that because they're in a dating relationship, it is safe. And then all of a sudden it isn't because we are engaging in sex for different reasons than, than the reasons that God designed it for. And then we're right. dissatisfied and we're breaking off those relationships. And now you have that person crying on the pillow by themselves, wondering, where did I go wrong? I was vulnerable. The most vulnerable I can be in life is being completely naked with another person. And you said you can't be closer than having sex. And they've entered into this closeness. And because there, there wasn't certain expectations that were talked about or agreed upon, now they're left alone, which can be completely heartbreaking for somebody who is new to sex and it is doing that over and over again. I mean, how heartbreaking is it the first time? It's probably even more heartbreaking the 10th time, the 12th yeah. time. Right. And, um, you know, we do do a lot of work around diseases or I'll say syphilis, gonorrhea, and chlamydia. Those are real things that really happen to people. Um, one in four sexually active young people get an STD every year. Mm-hmm. Uh, one in two by the age of 25 sexually active will have an STD. These are real risks that are that are kind of the unknown public health crisis. Unfortunately, our opponents would say a condom fixes all of that, and it really doesn't. And I don't want to dive into all of that science today, but it's part of that why, part of the reasons. So I think um, really understanding the goodness of mutual monogamy in a lifelong committed relationship with an uninfected partner, as the Centers for Disease Control says, that's really uh, the best solution for current and future health. See, that's kind of stuff we don't talk about in church. No. You know what yeah. I mean? Like the church is going to be like, they're just going to say, hey, stay yeah. pure because God word says. And I love that. Cause you're like, hey, well, actually stay pure because God word says. And science backs up God's word here by showing you all these stats. 
I mean, those are, yeah. those are pretty insane stats you just quoted there yeah. and yeah. how likely we are. Know, yeah. We don't know those things. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay. What's number so three? That's the why. Oh, number three. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. <good. laughs> that was the why, the reasons. And the third one is responsibility. So in the Me Too movement, we've shifted responsibility. Who's to blame? Who's not to blame? Uh, what about modesty? What about gatekeeping? That's a whole other one we could unpack. But my point is kind of understanding shared responsibility mm. in a sense that we've shifted away from girls having any responsibility. So you can dress, sorry, slutty, you can dress, you know, you can drink, you can throw yourself in this guy's car or apartment and it's his fault. Mm -hmm. I have a problem with that. Um, the way we've so shifted responsibility away and yet we've got to come back to a place of balance. Um, if you have a red convertible sports car, you don't pull that up to the mall and leave the keys and your purse on the front and head off walking. No, you, you lock it, you care for it, you value it. So I think the valuing of bodies and modesty, the definition I like is simply dressing in a way as not to draw attention to yourself. Mm. So it's this, you know, it's not for the Instagram shot or that, you know, the Snapchat that you're editing and putting a filter on and getting that up. We're so, we're so objectified in our bodies. We've missed this whole modesty message. Now I can't even talk about it. We used to say, you know, guys are stimulated visually, girls are stimulated more by touch. Now we can hardly even talk gender differences, although there are, they are there in the biology. Check out the, the part of the brain, the male brain, that's two and a half times more stimulated by visual than the female brain. There are, you know, legitimate gender, different biological sex differences. Mm -hmm. My point on the dress and modesty issue comes back to sharing responsibility and all of us living in a way that is honorable and appropriate and um, not, you know, again, not shifting that blame, mm -hmm. but I think that's another area that the purity culture, you know, as it's being called got wrong. Um, you know, girls don't have to wear turtlenecks, but that also doesn't mean they wear a crop top and a skirt that their bottom hangs out of and expect things to be fine. You know, if a firefighter walks into the room, you know, they're a firefighter by the way they dress. Mm -hmm. If a girl walks in, in that crop top and short skirt, for example, um, we've got, you know, we, we're, we're thinking about a message about the way that you dress. So you can't dress a yes is a, a message I can't even say anymore because it's saying I'm, I'm blaming her. Mm -hmm. I'm the rape culture. I'm all of that. We've swung mm -hmm. so far away from that wow. with me too. I can dress however I want. You know, it's my body, my choice. All of that is just swung the, the wrong way in terms of a balanced approach to responsibility. So how's that for a can of worms? <laughs> that is so true. I see it so much in specifically my generation and younger where yeah. I have seen, I was part of the purity culture in a way where I remember I got these really cool sweatpants when I was younger um, from a really like fancy cool store and it said BB on the bum. And I remember my dad saying like, you cannot wear those because it's going to draw attention and guys are going to look at your butt. And I was like, Oh, are you kidding me? And I was never allowed to wear them. And I was so upset, but I was a part of that like culture where I saw, um, you know, like people would blame or, you know, women for like, Hey, well they're gonna, you know, mess up because of what you're wearing. And now we have shifted so far away from that. 
where I see women who are doing these like reels and these um, TikTok dances and it is scandalous and it is like provocative and you just see things and they're proud of like how they're showing off their body. And I'm just like, oh my gosh. And it's this, this movement is going on where it's like, well, it's their fault if they're, you know, if they're stumbling, like it's my body, it's my choice. And it's just boobs. Like they're just boobs. They're an art, you know? And it's just like, how did we go from there to growing up and, you know, we're pointing the blame and now we're on the completely other side where we're now pointing the blame at them. And it's like, oh my gosh, where's the balance? Where did that, what happened there? I see it so much. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm a body shamer, you know, and, and some of those things by even saying some of the things I've done. And yet you hear the heart of it is more um, about guarding what's valuable and bodies are valuable. And, um, you know, modesty, again, my definite, you know, and I would say the guy, it doesn't have to be a guy girl issue. Even you know, guys shouldn't wear swimming trunks to a wet, a funeral or a wedding. It's dressing appropriately. Yeah. And guys are doing stuff now to draw attention to their bodies, sort of, but girls aren't stimulated by that stuff. So it, it's it's different. It just right. really is different by the biological sex mm. that we're talking about and the way, you know, those sexual messages sell and some of that. So I just gotta say this, I don't know why, but I feel like it's so it's so hard for me personally to go to church sometimes. And I'm not talking about one yeah. church, I'm talking about many churches that we've gone to in the past few years because I feel that I can't even walk into churches without really being triggered with my past addiction and going, my gosh, I have to bounce my eyes. I was, and I think that is so hard for me to be in a setting where I am distracted from the Lord because this is going on all around me. I literally have to look down at my feet in a congregation of believers. And I just think, man, like I just wish there were more people. And I'm not talking about even just women. I never had same sex attraction per se, but there are guys that are wearing cut off shirts and I'm going, man, I'm comparing my body to their body and they're or the in and sorry really quick but the tight jeans 100%. i mean we've seen those we've seen tight jeans where literally you worship leaders see, are like you're yeah. like i can like i, can I don't want to look there i can see your penis coming through your pants right now <laughs> and i'm like that is distracting and yeah. it, and i think it's just this reality right and if it's not and i, I don't think it's weird to say that because if yeah. it's not the penis it's the breasts that are popping yeah. out of a shirt at church or like you said a shorter a shorter article of clothing where their entire legs are being shown and you're like man like at what point do we become the body that wants to support one another? At what point do we say, hey, I want to help you in this? And my body, yeah, I'm, I'm going to work out. I'm going to be healthy because I believe God calls me to being a steward of my health. Nothing wrong with going to the gym. Nothing wrong with looking good. But I'm going to preserve that for the person that I'm called to, to preserve that for. And it is awesome for making love and in the bedroom and being sexual and having that body. So my wife is like, wow, that's amazing. Or my husband's like, wow, that's amazing. That is awesome. But it's not there so that we can constantly compare with everybody else mm-hmm. in our community. Mm-hmm. And I think as Christians, if we could just go, hey, my body is, is my body. It's made not only for me, but for my spouse or for my future spouse. And at some point that's going to be incredible. But for now, I'm going to support you by being having a more modest take. And I agree with mm-hmm. what you said. I'm not saying turtlenecks and, and everyone has, you know, uniforms you walk around in. But we all know what clothes draw attention to our body. And we all know what clothes are modest. I mean, we yeah. know that the T-shirt is not going to be at, at, at versus a crop top or or jeans and that, that fit you well. Okay. Versus jeans that really accentuate the parts of your body that you are constantly working on in the gym. Yeah. And I think it's like, wow, like, can we, can we just come together in that? Can we support one another in that? 
And can we create a, a, a sense of, wow, I think we're all trying to work towards sanctification here. Mm. And it would be awesome if we came together in that round versus continue to just think it's not a big deal. Or, or this is your issue, man. If you're having a trouble stumbling, you need to look away. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, so far I can't look away. I have to look down at my feet. I, it's not, I can't even direct it somewhere else because yeah. there's somebody else over there. And so it's been yeah. a challenge to even keep uh, a focus on the Lord, even in the midst of a Christian congregation. Because I don't think we're just talking about secular world. I think we're talking about Christians in the body of Christ, right? For now. sure. Yeah. Keep going, Laura. This is so good. Okay, well, we you have get, the yeah. last, my last little <laughs> awesome. R, right? Um, we got, we've, we've, uh, we've opened many cans of worms. But the last <laughs> one I really think we've already touched on, but is restoration, mm. you know, and the grace message of, of hope and whether you've been harmed by yourself or more, more likely by someone else, there has to be a message of hope and restoration, uh, restoring back to wholeness. Um, that takes some counseling and support and accountability and, and love long-term and all of those things. But I think that's a big part of what was missed in the, the, the bad purity culture, let's call it the harmful mm-hmm. purity culture or some level of the traditional church narrative that left out the the hope of, of, of grace and, and forgiveness and second chances. It's never too late to start over. It's never too late to make the best decision going forward. That's a church message. That's a science message. That's a, that's all of that. So um, I'm, I'm glad that that's part of it that we've touched on too. That's so important to talk about because like you said, sometimes sex was not our choice. And we know many people that were in the middle of a party and they were given some kind of a drug or alcohol that was too much. And all of a sudden someone took advantage of them. And they, and their life forever changed. Maybe they developed an STD in that regard. Maybe things happened. And I think what you're talking about is, hey, we don't, we don't, first of all, the church needs to, again, support that person, right? We need to take that person into our arms and say, hey, we want to be here with you. We want to walk with you. Uh, we, we, we know that there's stuff going on and we just want to be on this journey with you. And sometimes so many of our habits, I mean, that goes right into what we talk about mm-hmm. a lot, which is pornography addiction so many times is trauma-based, and we're talking about, hey, can we address the underlying issues? Can we address the trauma and and not throw somebody out because of the behavior or because of the actions? I'm not saying ever to allow those or to justify them, but can we walk alongside, alongside somebody who maybe has behaviors that we know are harmful and actions, but can we, can we talk about the restoration process? Obviously, that word has a lot of meaning to charity. Now. So yeah, with restored to more. But yeah, but thank you, Lord. That, that was so good. Appreciate you sharing that. Well, there's several ways I think that message can be communicated. Um, We've talked about uh, virginity like a gift, you know, that can be given. Um, If you were sexually abused, did you give that gift? No, it was Mm. someone trying to take it from you, but it's yours to give. So Mm. you still have that gift. So hang on, cherish it, give it when you want to give it. That's part of the message. But then there's a whole message to anyone who has been, you know, in that situation, sexually active before of rewrapping that gift or whatever analogy you like to use to restoring to wholeness. And part of that is just revaluing yourself, revaluing sex as it was intended to be. And, and, you know, sometimes that means, sure, getting an STD test, getting counseling for some of the emotional things, handling the, the consequences that may be there. But there's always a, a hope for tomorrow. And um, I think we missed that in a lot of the, the, the purity teaching that we've, that's out there. Wow. 
That is so good. Yeah. Laura, this has been an amazing time with you on the podcast. I'm so grateful. And like you said, I feel like we just opened like nine can of worms and like <laughs> everyone's like, wait, we got to go back and talk about that. So we got to have you back on the show. Uh, this has been awesome. Can you just tell us how our listeners could get plugged into all that you're doing? Maybe they are connected to some avenue that they could like, hey, I want to learn about this as parents. I want to learn about this as somebody who's an educator. Many teachers are in this realm. They're going, hey, I'm around kids all day long. What can I be doing to teach a positive message in this? Kids are talking about sex, like, and they're going to get they're going to get a teaching from somewhere. And I think all of us are called to learn about sexual health, not only for ourselves, but what we believe about ourselves is going to implicitly be taught to all of those around us. So, how can our listeners get plugged into all that you guys are doing? Well, we're easy to reach. We're Med Institute, as in Medical Institute, but look at medinstitute.org. Our email, my email, medinstitute at medinstitute.org. That's easy. Uh, happy to help. Uh, we especially work in schools and churches and happy to help and um, in families, especially. I have a, a, a big burden for parents of young children, kind of using the right terms at the right time, um, bringing up these kinds of discussions that we've had even in our call today. So I'm glad we could talk about it. Happy to help. Thank, Thank you. you. We so enjoyed this conversation. We took so many notes. So uh, we are so excited, um, not for us, not just for us, but for our yeah. listeners too. So thank you. Thanks for being with us, Lori. You guys take care. Love what you're doing. Thanks. I'm yours until the end of time. Hey everyone. Thank you so much for joining us today. Don't forget to subscribe to the show, follow us on Instagram and sign up for the upcoming course. You can also connect with us on the Ask Us Anything page at RestoredToMore.com. Also, quick note, all the work at Restored to More Inc., including this podcast, is made possible by our donors and financial partners. We wouldn't be here without those who have generously given to the cause of restoration. If you ever feel led to give, you can do so on the donate page on our website. 